At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Well, I'm really excited to be able to be here with you to start off this, uh, this new series. It's our Advent series. How many have ever wondered, like my six-year-old this, this week, what the word Advent even means? Anybody ever wonder that? Sometimes we say these words and we don't know exactly what they, they mean. And Advent really speaks to the preparation of the heart for an arrival, a glorious arrival, a, a coming, if you will. And what is the arrival that we should be preparing our hearts for? What was the, the coming or the arrival that uh, those who were there for the first Christmas was preparing their hearts for? It was a century-long, centuries-long preparation of the heart for the coming of the Son of God into the world, the promised one who would not only be earthly king, but as king of heaven would be the one who reconciles men and God. Praise the Lord. So that's what we should be preparing for. So so often when we are in Christmas season, we just kind of go through the motions. And maybe uh, like, uh, like me, your life is kind of busy at times. And so you just kind of go through the motions of the Christmas season and you do all your best Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I'm just going to commend to you Walgreens. It's open till midnight. I'm telling you, nine out of 10 of your gifts can be bought right there. I've tested the theory. I've tested it. <laughs> it is true. But the fact of the matter is, is that so often we go through the motions and then Christmas comes and it's just another day. And you look back and say, did I miss it? Did I really miss the significance of it? Well, what Advent really is about is preparing your heart by reminding you of the significance, this, this magnificent reality of the fact that Christ has come and what that means and building your expectation so that when Christmas morning comes, afresh and anew, you can wake up celebrating and rejoicing that the greatest gift ever offered to man was offered to us by God in Christ for our salvation and that he is making all things new. So the Christmas morning can be a great day of rejoicing. And this is a message that we need to embrace, that Christmas morning is a great day of rejoicing. Now, I don't know what your favorite Christmas memories are. Every one of us has our favorite Christmas uh, memories. I know that, that I do. As a matter of fact, some of my favorite Christmas memories uh, were made later on in life because I grew up and I had great parents, but my mom was like the Grinch. She didn't really get into all the Christmas. She's a wonderful woman. She just didn't get into all the Christmas. As a matter of fact, just to give you a picture of it, the decoration in my house, we had a two-foot-tall ceramic Christmas tree on a table that she plugged into the wall. That was the extent of it. Some of you just said, oh, just feeling sorry for me. Don't worry. I've been through years of therapy. I'm doing great. <laughs> I am doing great. But, but then I married my wife, and her family is like my big fat Greek wedding, but for Christmas time. They're, go, they're going over the top in the other end of the spectrum, and this is the family I married into. Everything is wonderful and expensive. <laughs> 
But one of my favorite Christmas memories, and my wife will remember this, is her mom, um, and we haven't done this in years, but her mom uh, having a scavenger hunt for the Christmas presents where you couldn't just open your Christmas presents, but you had to follow clues. And if you were analytical, you got it. And if you weren't, it was a bad day for you. But no, I'm just joking. We would help you out. But, but the reality was that it was so memorable and it turned us all into investigators. Well, today we want to do that. We want to turn you into an investigator. What this series is called is Eyewitnesses. And we're going to go back in time to look at the testimonies of those firsthand uh, witnesses who saw the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Son of God into the world. And what we hope is that not only through their story to verify the facts of our faith, but through their story to find our story as well so that our faith can be bolstered and we can remember that Jesus really is the reason for the season and the theological truths that are unpacked as we understand the story of the first Christmas. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1, Luke's gospel Wonderful gospel, Luke is such a detailed writer. And what we're going to discover today is that nothing is impossible with God. And we'll discover it through the story of a young woman named Mary. I love what A.W. Tozer says about this whole thought of nothing being impossible with God. He says these words, God is looking for those with which he can do the impossible. What a pity that we so often plan only the things that we can do ourselves. I want you to think about that. We often, so often, just when we're thinking about our plans for the future, look to ourselves as if we are, by ourselves, the definition of what God can do. But what the story of the first Christmas is all about, what the story of of Christmas really is meant to drive home is that God is sovereign and that he can do the impossible. That as we think about our future, we shouldn't just base it off of our resumes or our bank accounts or our strength and ability. But we should look to the one who is the author of creation, the author and the finisher of our faith, and the God of the impossible. Every word he says shall come to pass. And we see this in uh, verses 26 through 38. We'll just look at a few verses here today as we look at our first eyewitness, again, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it says here in verse number 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, we could stop right there. Again, we're a room full of investigators. And as investigators, we should be asking the who, what, when, where, why, and how questions. And as we look at this first verse, it is chock full of questions that we should be asking ourselves. What is this sixth month? The sixth month of what? We're going to discover a little bit later as we read on that this is connected to Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And it was the sixth month of her pregnancy as well, another miraculous act of God. What about this angel? Well, from the very beginning of Mary's story, God inserts himself. He inserts himself as the main character of the story. Who is this angel? His name is Gabriel, but that is a secondary matter. 
who sent him is the primary matter. And who was the one who sent Gabriel? It was none other than God. Everybody see that? In verse 26, it was God who sent Gabriel. What that tells me is that God is the main character of Mary's story. And God is the main character of our story as well. God is the main character of Christmas. It is so important that we not elevate ourselves as the main character of Christmas. And it's such an important message for us to give to our children as well, because they are being raised in a commercialized society that tells them that they are the main characters of Christmas. Let's be honest. It's not just our children that need to be reminded that they're not the main character. How I many can admit that it's us as well, right? You don't have to say, man, you could just say, ouch, and I'll just keep moving on. I know some of you don't like this point in my sermon, and I'll just go to another one in just a moment, but let me just drive this home. That God is the main character of the Christmas story. It is for his exaltation that we celebrate. The reason why Christmas is such a joyful morning is not because of earth. It's certainly not because of the stores or the malls. It's not because of our favorite sports teams. The reason why Christmas is a celebration is because of God and all that he accomplished and promises that he will accomplish. Now, he sent Gabriel, this angel, to a city called Nazareth. And if you were alive during that day, Nazareth was not a prominent city. It wasn't a city you would have known. Nazareth didn't have the commerce of a port city. It didn't have the beauty of a destination vacation city. It wasn't where kings would summer. Nazareth was this kind of crummy little city that some theologians call no place. It was a no place kind of city. And that's not to be derogatory, it was just the fact. Now, why would God bring us to this no place city? Here's the thing you gotta know. Nothing in the Bible is thrown in superfluously. Nothing in the Bible is thrown in as extra parts. The Bible is not like me when I'm assembling toys on Christmas morning and I put together the stuff I know how to put together and everything else is extra. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's not how the Bible works. Everything is there precisely for a reason. The fact that the angel was sent to Nazareth is there for a reason. Let's read further. Gabriel was sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Praise God. This was the one who all of Israel had been waiting for. 
but not just all of Israel. This was the one that all of humanity was waiting for, the one who would rescue us from Genesis 3. Genesis 1 presents to us the beauty of a world that is made in perfection. Genesis 3 shows that sin not only mars the beauty of God's creation, but it separates us from God. So how will we be reconciled back to God, we who are sinners, to a perfect God? It is through the mediator, the God-man, Jesus. And how does God pull it off? Well, we see it unfolding in these verses here. He sends the angel to this no-place city to find a virgin. She is called a virgin twice before we even get her, her name. She is called a virgin twice, and then we are given her name. Her name is Mary. Again, why all these details? It's because God is trying to drive home something. You see, what God is doing in giving us this no-place city and this really nobody young girl is he's about to set up his great power in showing his ability to overcome even, even insurmountable obstacles. There are certain times when God allows in his plan for my life and yours obstacles to emerge, not to defeat us, not to destroy us, and not to discourage us, but just to demonstrate his power to do the impossible. Nothing is impossible with our God. So why Nazareth? It's because it's a perfect city for God to show how powerful he was. If Jesus had been born in another great city, Jerusalem or the city of the kings or Rome, we would have not been surprised because after all, that's where greatness comes from. Maybe the greatest verse about Nazareth is when Nathaniel tells Philip as he's recruiting him to follow Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It wasn't known for anything good. And then out of all the women of the earth, all of the great prestigious women of the earth, he finds the Virgin Mary. I don't know about you, but I can't think to, of a greater obstacle to uh, Jesus being born than virginity. Greatest obstacle I can think of to uh, having a baby. But God allows this obstacle to emerge so he can show his power. I want you to think about your own life. What obstacles have emerged in your life? What challenges do you feel like, I don't know if I can overcome this. I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure if God's purpose and plan for my life can be accomplished with this setback or with this detour, or with this challenge? What, what, what assessment have you made of yourself that prevents God in your mind from being able to do great and awesome things through you? Is, is it the lack of uh, maybe a degree, or the lack of connections, or, or social status? Is it, is it the lack of the ability to be articulate in your mind, as articulate or gifted as some other people? I don't know what your assessment is of yourself, but you're not the defining factor on what God can do. We're not the defining factor on what God can do. God is able to accomplish the impossible because of his power and glory through Christ Jesus. And we praise God for that. Amen? 
That's why our trust has to be in him more than in governments or in nations or economies or militaries that fluctuate in power and strength and stability. There is one who is the rock of ages, never failing, never waning, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. So this angel comes to this virgin in Nazareth and he speaks to her and he tells her that God is going to do the miraculous. What I love about this is that it's a reminder to us that Christmas is for those who can humbly receive God's promise. You know, this isn't a story about uh, those who are deserving of this. This isn't a story about those who have earned the right to be saved. None of us have earned the right to be saved. This is a story about a humble young woman trusting God. And so it is with you and me. The greatest obstacle or barrier to our salvation is pride. It is our pride, our lack of willingness or ability to acknowledge, God, I need to be rescued. God, I need a savior. But the verdict of humanity is already in that 100% of us need grace. Amen? 100% of us need mercy. How many agree with that? 100% of us have questions of the head that this world cannot satisfy, have longings of the heart that we have searched to have watered and satisfied, but this world leaves us empty. 100% of us is longing for something beyond this world. As a matter of fact, even the sin and the brokenness and the tragedies of this world, when they do break in on life, they cause us to long for something beyond this world. And all week long, what have I been longing for? Maybe you as well. Is God, I need something beyond this world. This world can't satisfy. But how many thank God that there is something beyond this world and that God alone can satisfy the questions of our head, the longing of our heart. He is the only one that can give us the peace, the forgiveness, and the redemption that our souls so desperately need. Amen? And so the question is simply this. Will you, in humility, receive the grace of God? You know, what this story reminds us of is that when God calls, he, he provides. He supplied everything that was needed for this to take place. Now, I love verse number 34. And in verse number 34, we see Mary's response. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, I love the practicality of that. Mary looks back at the angel and says, hey, I love all that stuff about the thrones and David and kingdoms. and How does this going to happen? How is this going to go down? Maybe you haven't noticed I am a virgin. How is this going to happen? But that was an obstacle too great in her mind but it was not an obstacle too great in God's mind. How many know that what's impossible with man is possible with God? Amen? So God's response to the angel is verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Praise God. I wanted to stop there for just a moment. Recently on my radio program, I 
focused on a, uh, a report that came out of a new religious study for America that says that 68% of evangelicals don't believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. 68% of evangelicals don't believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you this, my friends, that we here on earth are able to experience the joy of Christmas because the Holy Spirit, as described here, came and entered the story. Praise God. This is a God story. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, I'm sorry, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, this introduces a deep theological doctrine called the hypostatic union that Jesus would be fully God and fully man, two natures, one person, never commingling for all of eternity. And I love the fact that this is taking place right before our eyes, that the Son of God was coming in a miraculous way, just as the Spirit of God had come upon other Others in uh, the Old Testament endowing them to do what was beyond their ability to do. Well, now the Spirit of God comes upon Mary and she is able now to carry our Messiah in her womb. And it goes on to say in verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, going back to verse number 26, connecting there with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Can we read verse 37 aloud together? Say it with me. For nothing will be impossible with God. Say it again. For nothing will be impossible with God. How many believe that in their heart? In the depths of their heart, that what God calls, he supplies. Amen? And he gives Mary this sign, and I can relate to this sign that she conceived past the conceiving period or, or window. My wife and I were married for 16 years, 16 years. And uh, we were young when we got married, but for 16 years we didn't have uh, biological children. And then after 16 years, surprise, surprise, the Lord moved. And I praise God, there were a lot of people who prayed for us, the Lord moved. And uh, once the faucet got cut on, it didn't get cut off, so y'all pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> You just pray, amen. But it was an amazing thing. It was an amazing thing when God blessed. But here's my point, is that as amazing as it is to see a barren womb opened up, it's not unprecedented. We see it throughout Scripture. We see it throughout Old Testament and in Elizabeth's life. It's an amazing thing, but not unprecedented. But yet what he's about to do with Mary is unprecedented. What does that show us? is that John the Baptist, the forerunner, as miraculous as his birth was, Jesus' birth was even more miraculous. And as awesome as his ministry was, Jesus' ministry is even greater. Jesus' ministry is the ministry of the Son of God who has come to redeem us from our sins. What a gift. And then just one more verse. And what we see in this next verse is when God calls, we respond. We must respond. Look at how Mary responds. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I love that humility. 
You know, one theologian said that Mary is arguably the most misunderstood figure in all of religious history. I believe that that could be true, arguably could be true. There are so many false images of Mary. I was thinking about this TV show, popular TV show, when I was preparing my message to tell the truth. Anybody ever seen that TV show? And it's a TV show popular in different iterations, a modern iteration, where you have a celebrity panel, and they are trying to find which one of these uh, folks is the real one. They're trying to match the person to the story, and there's two people who are lying, one person who's telling the truth. I don't know if I described that great in the show. Isn't that awesome? But anyway, it drives, it drives home my point. It's a wonderful illustration. But there's so many false images of Mary out there. Let me just tell you who Mary isn't. Mary isn't the queen of heaven. Mary isn't the mediator between us and God. Mary isn't to be worshiped or to be venerated or to be prayed to. Mary, as she describes herself here, is simply the servant of the Lord. Blessed of God, but the servant of the Lord. And guess what you and I are? We're servants of the Lord. He is not looking for our giftedness. He is looking for our obedience and trust and faith in him. And she has been entrusted with this special ministry responsibility. And I love her response. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. My friends, today, as I close, we have a decision we have to make. What will we do about God's call on our lives? For some in this room, it is the call of salvation. It is the call to accept him as your Savior and your Lord. I pray that your response would be, let it be to me according to your word. That God, if you have called me to serve you, I'm going to do it. And there's a number of young people that are in the room. And if this week has taught us anything, it is that life is short and there is no time to waste. And I pray that this will be a week that will be a turning point for many of you, that many of you that have been delaying obedience to come to Christ, that this will be the time where you will say yes and amen. Let it be to me according to your word. God, I don't want to delay or wait anymore. Today is the day of salvation. And I pray that for those of us who have already put our faith and our trust in Jesus, that whatever he is calling us to do in obedience to him, that our response would be, let it be to me, God, according to your word. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to try to calculate or figure out, but I want to trust and obey. That's, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. So today, I invite you to respond to respond to the offer of God for salvation. What a great Advent season this can be for you if your response is, let it be to me, Lord, according to your word. Amen? Let's all stand together today. As we stand together, I'll pray. And uh, I don't know if I preached so long that the praise team got tired and left. Oh, no, there goes Josh. There they go. (laughs)
forgive me if I have. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you can do the impossible, that you can find humble people, ordinary people in humble and ordinary towns like ours, and you can do extraordinary things. And God, if you could send a miracle to Nazareth, won't you do it in Royal Oak? God, we pray that you could take um, your grace and glory that you poured out in Nazareth, that you could do it in Oxford, Michigan, that from this region there could be a move of God that would uh, transform the hearts of a generation. Father, we believe nothing is impossible with you. So let it be to us according to your word. We say yes and amen. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.